Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Veterinary Advice, Animal News and Views, the place for pets. And they're people who love them. Aw, it's so sad. Come here, come here, boy. Here is your host, practicing veterinarian, veterinary news network reporter, and host of the popular YouTube show, The Web DVM, Dr. Roger Welton. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Veterinary Advice, Animal News and Views. I'm your host, Roger Welton, coming to you live from the Florida Space Coast. Welcome, and thank you for joining me for part three of my Why Not Alternative Medicine series. This is the first time I've ever done a three-part series, and I appreciate you sticking with me. Um, The amazing thing is I thought I would bore people by sticking with one particular subject for three series in a row, but um, in fact, it's been quite the opposite. The listenership has actually increased with each episode, so clearly there is a yearning for this kind of thing out there, and I'm really thrilled to 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 uh, observe that, and, and thank you so much for listening. So in my first installment, what I talked about was what what exactly is the distinction between alternative medicine and Western medicine, and what is the main hindrance as far as our acceptance of it as a culture? In part two, I talked about exactly how a lot of alternative medicine modalities that I'm using in particular. Again, I didn't touch on all of them out there. I touched on the ones that I'm familiar with and using, but I I basically touched on exactly how they work and why physiologically and why what are the health benefits. And in this uh, last installment, I'm going to actually use some real case examples, uh, three in total, Uh, nothing terribly boring. I put it in lay terminology, but three cases that really showcase exactly how in practice, me in particular, of course, how I am integrating both Western and alternative modalities into my medicine, but also how pretty much showcasing how it can be done. And um, I'm not the only one out there doing this, but unfortunately, I think there's precious too few that are doing it. We also have two email questions this evening. One is a carryover from last week because we had technical difficulties. I was unable to get to uh, my email questions last week, and I do apologize for that. But tonight, I'm going to cross fingers as I say this, we are technical difficulty free. So we're going to go ahead and address those as well as we um, have a new one uh, today as well. So before we get into case examples, and, and again, we're in part three now, uh, and next week we're going to move on to a whole new topic in case any of you out there are a little bored with this topic. Uh, we are going to move on, but before uh, we, we jump into this last installment, I do want to address one of last week's email questions that got shelved. It's from Samantha from Alberta, Canada, Stony Plain, Alberta, Canada specifically, and she has been a regular broadcast or broadcast contributor before, and I I do thank Samantha very much for her contributions, as they're always really good questions and good comments. Uh, Sorry you got shelved there last week, but here we go. Hi, Dr. Roger. Just wanted to say how much I enjoyed your broadcast on alternative medicine. I have a great interest in this subject, and some podcasts I've listened to are so, quote-unquote, extremist and one-sided in regards to their abolishment of all Western medicine. 
great job. You wouldn't happen to know anything about aromatherapy for animals, would you? I use aromatherapy on myself and use essential oils on my horses also. But the debate of its usefulness in small animals and its safety has caused me to have reservations about using it on my cats and dogs. I was also going to ask how you feel about breed-specific as well as age and size-specific diets. I work on for a pet food company that provides these types of diets, and I wanted to get your take on it as opinions are all over the board. Thanks, and keep up the great work. I'll be listening. Samantha from Stony Plain, Alberta, Canada. Great question. Um, and, I, and I'm glad that we have a centrist person here because one of my favorite comedians that I've uh, listened to in my generation is Chris Rock. And he said a great statement one time, and I'll never forget it. <laughs> um, and, and luckily this one is not uh, with colorful metaphors involved. But he said, in politics as in life, if you're far left or you're far right, you've done gone too far. <laughs> and I couldn't agree more. And, you know, that statement doesn't just apply to politics. It applies to everything. You know, there's extreme sides of everything, and the same goes for medicine. And why do we have – why do things have to be mutually exclusive? Why can't there be middle ground where we're considering everything, having an open mind? Because really what it comes down to is in the end – Everything's always better in the middle, isn't it? Right? So medicine is no different. And I see that Samantha clearly is a centrist person, at least from a medical standpoint. And abolishing Western medicine is wrong. That's bad. And and I'm glad she made that statement because as I, as I, I stated before, and I will state again, I'm very much a Western trained doctor and I'm not going to abandon Western medicine just, just not for a second. I think it's very important because for all the reasons I talked about in the last episode, we need Western medicine. But at the same time, for long-term therapy, for cases that are refractory to Western medicine, in cases where we are treating a disease, helping the disease, but we're having unwanted side effects because of Western modalities, let's talk about alternative medicine. And, and very much so, that's what I'm going to really get into tonight. But um, as far as aromatherapy is concerned, I have heard of its benefits in people. I, I have heard of its use a lot in equine medicine. Um, now, a lot of the things we do in small animal medicine, believe it or not, has its roots in equine medicine. For some reason, equine medicine, and when I say equine, I'm, I'm referring to horses, equine medicine happens to be, for some reason, a little bit more cutting edge. For example, Adequan is a great nutraceutical injection that we use in small animals. We've been using it for years, but it had its roots in racehorses. Um, Electroacupuncture is something that we're starting to love for use in intervertebral uh, back disease in dogs and cats had its roots in horses. And so acupuncture, period, we're doing a heck of a lot more of it in horses than we are in, in small animals. So uh, horse medicine is, tends to be cutting edge, and, and I think the part of the reason for that is that some of these horses are worth millions of dollars, and so these people are just – the owners of these, these animals are – you know, not to say that they don't have an emotional connection to the animal and love the animal, but they also have a major, major financial investment in some of these animals. So when it comes to uh, the use of aromatherapy in horses, and there are many anecdotal reports, I think the data is still very much, um, I guess the jury's still out, but I'd have to say that it sounds promising. Um, certainly it's being used in people quite a bit, and 
it may be one of those things that, um, you know, again, from my perspective, and, and I have to say my experience with it is completely nil. I'm just going on things I've read, people I've talked to, medical personnel I've talked to, technicians I've talked to. I'd say it, it's probably one of those things that's part of the answer. I don't think it'll necessarily be super profound, but, but part of the answer. And so when it comes to small animals, dogs and cats specifically, um, uh, again, I think one of the pertinent statements that Samantha made there is that we're a little we're a little concerned about the safety because even though we're talking about natural things, um, natural isn't always safe. So I think somebody somewhere has to really study this. We have to do some uh, controlled scientific method studies, uh, but I think it does sound promising and it's certainly something that uh, I will keep an open mind to. But I don't know if I'm um, I'm prepared at this point to. Um, consider it a serious treatment modality for dogs and cats because of the safety factor and, of course, there's efficacy. Does it really work? Um, I think it's well-established enough in horses and in people that I think we can at least say that, okay, it's safe enough and there's enough anecdotal evidence to go there, but um, it's just very limited in dogs and cats, and that's my honest answer. As far as breed-specific diets, I think, you know, in all honesty, um, I don't believe in them. Um, what I do believe in is, you know, the nutrient needs of dogs uh, in, in their range of sizes because you can have anything from like a 200-pound St. Bernard to a 3-pound Chihuahua, 3-pound Yorkie. I think when it comes to the size of these animals, yes, we do want to have size-specific um, nutrient needs covered, but breed-specific I think is a stretch. I don't think, for example, a Chihuahua and a Yorkie and the Jack Russell have different nutritional needs. Um, there's just no evidence. Uh, and when you look at the large animal side of things, I don't think a Labrador, a Golden Retriever, or um, a Labradoodle or a German Shepherd have different nutritional needs. So um, I talked about disease-specific nutrition, and I'm very big on that once the disease is established. Very, very big on disease-specific nutrition. But breed-specific nutrition... All of the evidence to me, it's just very gimmicky. Um, I, I don't, and the, the problem is there's no real studies to prove it one way or the other. But when you look at the nutrient breakdown, I think that it's very gimmicky, and it, it's probably there's going to be a, it's definitely going to be a market for it. But uh, would I be spending money on that? No, I would not. Not for my dogs. So good question though, and uh, great great statements there, Samantha. Keep them coming. I love, I love when I see that you sent me an email. Thank you very much. By the way. I uh, want to remind everybody that there is a live call-in component to this show. one 877 For those of you uh, watching the video live stream, because we're podcasting as well as doing video at the same time, there is uh, that number is actually posted on the title of the chat room there. And uh, I'm seeing that Somebody, one of my video watchers, asked me if I know anything about reptiles. The answer to that is very little. <laughs> my associate uh, doctor that works in my practice is a reptile guy. I am not, I'm sorry to say. But uh, yeah, I do thank you for watching. All right, so let's talk about case number one. Case number one is a eight-year-old female Australian shepherd that presented with severe pain and paralysis of the rear limbs. The pain was you know, non-localized, the owner really didn't know where the pain was coming from. The dog was just screaming in pain. I localized the, the pain to the thoracolumbar spine, so about middle of the back. 
And spinal x-rays and examination pretty much led me to conclude that she had herniated two, possibly three, intervertebral discs in her back. Herniated disc means that the cartilaginous padding, so to speak, between each vertebra that separates them, herniated up into the spinal space. And as a result, that causes problems. It compresses the spinal cord itself. It compresses spinal nerve root signatures. It can lead to partial or complete paralysis, and certainly it leads to severe pain. So how did I manage this? Well, from the Western side, the dog was in serious, serious pain. So we needed to uh, relieve that pain. We also needed to very quickly reduce inflammation. So reducing inflammation frees up the spinal cord and the spinal nerve root signatures. And what we're hoping to do by reducing all that inflammation is making it so the compression isn't as bad of an issue. And uh, we also integrated a muscle relaxer uh, to reduce the muscle spasm. And as far as reducing inflammation, we gave a steroid injection intravenously. And for pain, I gave an injection of morphine. Well, of course, that provided instantaneous relief. The dog was feeling better. And um, at the same time, the paralysis really didn't change, or the partial paralysis didn't really change. So what did we do? This brings me to the alternative approach. The dog that day was given a low-level laser treatment over the injured region of her back, and she was also given uh, an anti-inflammatory connective tissue-restoring nutraceutical. That's called Adequan. I just talk, touched on that with, with the, when I was talking about the horses. And then over the course of three weeks, this patient had six treatments of laser and Adequan, and by treatment four, the dog had regained full, full function of her rear limbs. She was pain-free. And by treatment six, we had weaned her off all of the steroids, muscle relaxers, and pain medications. Um, later on, we integrated some acupuncture. And as far as her diet, we, did, we decided Hill JD to support her musculoskeletal system would be the best thing for her. And um, we are now about 18 months later. And she continues to come in for alternating acupuncture maintenance and laser treatment, and she's doing phenomenal. And the owners will not for one second forego the alternative treatments because there's no side effect, and they never want to see their dog look like that again. So at this point, she's verging on 10 years old, no medication whatsoever after having gone through that. So, you know, there you go. You have Western and alternative. Western had to stop the madness. Alternative had to manage it long term. So let's go to case number two. This is a real good one. A cat, I mean, you know, uh, immediately not the happiest thing, but great result. Cat fell asleep on the owner's RV engine. So the owner's got this big, great big RV. And, and unfortunately, we see this where cats um, like to cozy up to a warm engine because it's warm. And this was an indoor-outdoor cat, and she was outside, and she decided to crawl up in that nice, warm, cozy RV engine. Well, the owner started it up, and, you know, an RV engine gets really hot really fast. It's got the blades that spin. We're talking about a nasty, nasty trauma case where there was not only head trauma, but severe burn wounds and full body laceration, skin pulled off in many places. It was like one of those things that as a doctor, even I, you know, we've seen it all. It can be pretty, um, pretty resilient to seeing some awful things as this one, uh, wow, this one, this one hit everyone pretty hard in the clinic. But the lady uh, was a wonderful client, wonderful lady, big heart, wanted to do everything she could within reason. Um, and 
she she saw it through, and I gave her a lot of credit, and here's what we did. So let's start with the Western approach. <laughs> the patient um, was in a near comatose state when she presented. So she'd also sustained severe blood loss. So supportive care had to be the first priority. And, of course, alternative medicine doesn't provide the supportive care, uh, not, not the kind you need in acute traumatic situations. So blood transfusion, intravenous fluids, fluids, shock doses of fluids, dopamine to increase blood pressure, morphine for pain relief. Uh, she was then fitted with a morphine derivative pain patch for longer-term pain relief. Those last for about four to five days. And given the contaminated nature of her wounds uh, and burns, of course, being very prone to infection, she was put on two different um, intravenous antibiotics. And despite the alternative therapies that we're going to talk about in a second, she had to undergo two surgical procedures to amputate necrotic toes that were just no longer viable. Tissue dies, it has to go. Otherwise, it kills adjacent tissue. Uh, necrotic is a term that a lot of people know as gangrene is a lay terminology. So, you know, a lot of work had to be done from a Western standpoint. We also had to trim away necrotic tissue from the tips of her ears because they were just really burnt. So that's our Western approach to just, you know, stop the madness. Well, alternatively, we decided to facilitate the healing of the burn wounds and lacerations that we couldn't close because it was just, you know, the skin was just pulled off by... um doing laser treatments. Therapy laser not only de-inflammatizes musculoskeletal situations, it also stimulates the healing of, of skin. Um, and and, uh, and I won't get into the physiology, physiology, excuse me, physiology of it too much, but uh, basically the bottom line is that uh, we have healing rates quantifiable 40% faster using a, a laser. It also has a pain management effect as well, so that helps to um, concurrently work with the morphine that we were using to control pain to give her even further pain relief. And you could see the difference with each treatment. We also used an, uh, a seaweed-derived uh, sea salt spray. And when you hear sea salt, you would think, why would you spray that on a wound? But it's not a salinity that is going to sting or burn. It's got the same salinity as the tears, the physiological salinity, but we're using sea salt and a, uh, a type of kelp, um, and also antibacterial enzymes that we spray on the wounds. It's both soothing and also facilitates the healing process. Very much an alternative therapy, and I actually send most of my surgeries home with the foam version of the stuff to uh, facilitate the healing of wounds. Um, we also decided that it would be a very good idea to supplement her diet with omega-3 fatty acids to help de-inflammatize the situation in her brain because she wasn't completely right in the head for a while. You know, the comatoseness responded very well to the Western modalities of reversing the shock and, and, and some of the consequences of the trauma, but, um, you know, there was still a long process of getting her back to normal mentation, I guess. And uh, omega-3 fatty acids were a good way to help help the brain. But also, of course, we're talking about being naturally anti-inflammatory, so they also had the effect of reducing inflammation, and, of course, they directly condition and nourish the skin and hair coat and um, they're very much part of the solution. So despite missing most of her toes, she was actually uh, able to keep the central pad, so the pads that are right in the middle and, you know, the toes are surrounding. So believe it or not, even without her toes, she uh, to this day gets around remarkably well. She walks, she goes outside even, walks around in the grass, not quite as mobile as she used to be, but gets around well enough to make it to her litter box. 
There was no irreversible brain damage, and her burn wounds not only healed, but she even regrew most of her hair. So, I mean, it's just a success story of magnanimous proportions. And uh, while, you know, offhand, very tragic circumstances, and it's a shame the kitty had to go through all that, still, the end result is something we can all feel very good about. Uh, Before I move on to my last case, let's talk about another email question. And guys, I want to remind you, we are live calling. Since we went to that format, we've only had one live call two episodes ago. And uh, just letting you know, you're welcome to call in 877-878-1435, 877-878-1435. Give me a call if you'd like. If not, send me an email, comments at web-dvm.net. I certainly do enjoy the email question. And here's one of them right now. Jody from Newark, Delaware. Now I'm from New Jersey, and you probably expect me to pronounce that wrong because we have Newark, New Jersey, spelled the same way, but we say Newark. But uh, I'm a worldly man, and I know that you folks in Delaware say Newark. Here's Jody from Newark's question. I've been a longtime fan of your show, but your alternative medicine series has been the most enjoyable for me. I love the fact that you are not stuck in strictly Western medicine, strictly stuck in alternative medicine, but see the value of both when used together. My question is about my mini Poodle. He is nine years old and has GME. He's currently on a combination of prednisone and azathioprine. The meds keep it under control, but I was wondering if acupuncture may help to wean him off these very toxic medications. Thank you for your help, and thanks for your great show. You have no idea how much you help us. Thank you for the compliments, Jody. Great question. Her poodle suffers from GME. GME is short for granulomatous meningoencephalopathy. It's a mouthful. In essence, what that is, is an autoimmune disease of the central nervous system, meaning that the body's own immune system has decided to turn against itself. It has turned against its own tissues. In this case, it is attacking the central nervous system, the spinal cord, and the brain. And GME can range from a whole wide spectrum of clinical signs. We can see severe seizures. We can see neurological pain. We could see disorientation. We can see paralysis, partial paralysis, all kinds of things. We can see a phenomenon known as hyperesthesia, which is severe sensitivity to even just touch, just petting these dogs. It can set off a severe pain response. <clears throat> so it's a very challenging disease uh, in terms of recognizing it because it has so many different presentations, but also in treating it because basically you have to calm down an immune system gone wild. Uh, so diagnosis, you know, clearly if we have a diagnosis here from for Judy's dog, there was probably a cerebrospinal fluid analysis, so spinal tap was done. We're not mean like we are in human medicine. We sedate the dogs to get spinal taps. We don't do that with them conscious because that's just a mean thing to do. But if you're a person, hold still <laughs> while we shove this giant needle in your spine. But we don't do it that way. We sedate them and uh, get our samples that way. But So the bottom line is that you have an immune system gone crazy. Is it realistic to think that acupuncture is going to change the need for the medications? No, I don't think so. But with acupuncture, I believe that you do have a chance after, I would say, two months of weekly acupuncture. I would say two full months of weekly acupuncture. And I wouldn't go to a guy like me who's acupuncture qualified. I wouldn't go to anybody who just, again, is qualified but not certified. I want a certified veterinary acupuncturist dealing with this. So a CVA, 
You want those letters because these are the guys who I plan to be on one of these guys or ladies. I plan, well, I don't plan to be a lady, but I plan to be certified is what I'm getting at. Um, it just, it takes an entire year to become certified. Right now, I'm just qualified to treat intervertebral disease and osteoarthritis of the hips, knees, and, sh- and elbows and shoulders. I'm not qualified to treat something like this. So first, advice, Jody, find somebody certified, absolutely integrate it into your Poodle's protocol, and then very gradually try to back off those medications. Don't try to stop cold turkey, even if your CVA wants you to do that. There are some CVAs that are a little, little extreme, and because they see the acupuncture work so well, they're sometimes, in my estimation, a little bit too quick to dismiss and walk away from the Western side of it. But that azathioprine and prednisone right now are what's keeping the immune system in check. Those are immunosuppressant medications. Yes, it's very toxic. I totally agree with you. Um, I would want my daughter off of those if possible, too. But I don't know if that's realistic. But can we cut down those doses? I think that's realistic, especially if you're under control right now with just those two medications. I think it's realistic to think that uh, with with acupuncture you can you can successfully at least back off those doses. Is it possible you can get get her off the medications? Maybe. Um, I wouldn't bank on that, but but certainly it, it, it's possible. Anything's possible. So um, that's my advice to you. The other thing is I would uh, I would recommend the Hills JD diet because of the fact that it's. It's, you know, for the musculoskeletal system, but it can very much help with central nervous system problems because it is so dense in omega-3 fatty acids. It also has glucosamine in it, which is, uh, you know, glycosaminoglycan is in glucosamine, and and it can be very much anti-inflammatory as well, and it can help these, you know, sort of central nervous system problems. So Hill's JD diet, big fan of it. Thank you very much for that, Uh, not just for the compliments, but for a great post, and I wish you the best with your little poodle. So case number three, our final case, and then we wrap up alternative medicine. We can move on to the next topic. Um, case number three is an eight-year-old male neutered, uh, King Charles Cavalier Spaniel. Lovely, lovely dog. God, one of my favorites. One of my favorites. Just love this dog. Beautiful inside and out. He presented with vomiting and not eating or drinking for 48 hours, and on presentation, he was jaundiced. Jaundice means there was a yellow pallor to the whites of the eyes and also the gums were not pink, they were yellowish, and the skin had a yellow pallor to it, and of course he was severely dehydrated. So from the western side of things, he was immediately started on shock doses of intravenous fluids. He was given antibiotics and anti-nausea and GI protective medication. And through the combination of blood work x-rays, ultrasound, and <coughs> ultrasound-guided needle aspirates of the liver, we were actually can use ultrasound to guide a, a needle into the liver, and take some samples. We got a diagnosis of chronic active hepatitis, which is a debilitating inflammatory disease of dogs. And we've learned through the years that that's another form of autoimmune disease. We just talked about GME in, in the email post being the autoimmune or the immune system going crazy attacking the central nervous system. But in this case, what we're looking at is uh, the immune system attacking the liver. So what we had to do was stop the madness, so he had to be put on prednisone, which is uh, an, an immune-suppressing agent, and he was also put on a gallbladder medication that contracts the gallbladder. The gallbladder, when it contracts, it, it serves as kind of a liver flush and can help with that jaundice and make the, the liver gallbladder system a more dynamic uh, organ system. And we, um, 
discharge him on both of these medications for long-term maintenance care. So he's still on the, or not still anymore, I'll get to that in a minute, but um, he remained on these for life, okay? So in addition to those lesser modalities, when we sent him home and he was doing great, eating well, we sent him home on milk thistle. I touched on milk thistle last time. Regenerative to the liver, we sent him home on SAM-E, S-A-M-E, which is also regenerative to the liver. In veterinary medicine, we have a product that combines the two called Denimarin, which is really nice. Have not found a combination product in people yet, unfortunately. So I have to take them for myself separately. I don't have liver, but I want to keep my healthy liver. <laughs> um, and he was he kept he was kept on a diet called LD, which is a liver sparing diet fortified with vitamin E and free radicals, other uh, free radical scavengers, and it's highly digestible and, and reduces the workload of the liver as well as it's anti-inflammatory to the gut. So you know, really good stuff. The LD diet and um, Ultimately, he lived for th- three additional years. He was diagnosed at the age of eight with disease, and he lived to the age of 11. Um, the mean life expectancy of a dog diagnosed with chronic active hepatitis is nine to 12 months. And this dog, utilizing both Western and alternative modalities, lived three more years. He more than tripled life expectancy. So what does that tell you? Integrated medicine is the way to go, ladies and gentlemen. Don't let anybody ever try to convince you differently. We need to do both. We need Western and we need alternative. Just one or just the other, you're not giving the patient a fair deal. You're not doing the best for the patient. And so that is where I am headed with my medicine. That's where we all should be headed with our medicine. And I hope human medicine starts to catch up the what we're seeing. Well, that is time, ladies and gentlemen. I thank you so much for joining me. And during the three-part series, I will catch you next time. Have a great night. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the Internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.